Welcome to Tax Bites for Expats, the top tax tips you want to know as an expat. The podcast is here to help answer the common queries and concerns expats have when moving to or from Ireland. Complex taxes explained simply. We'll focus on the Irish and international tax issues to be aware of to ensure you save time, money and stress. Hi, my name is Stephanie Wickham from expattaxes.ie. You're listening to the Tax Bites for Expats podcast, the show that explains the do's and don'ts of income taxes for people who are moving to or from Ireland. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. Um, So today we're speaking with Brefney O'Kelly of brefneyokelly.ie. And Brefley has very kindly uh, agreed to join us and she's a licensed property buying agent who practices in Dublin in Ireland. She's originally from Dublin and she knows the property market there very, very well. A graduate of the Institute of Technology in Tala and previous winner of the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers Prize for Leadership. And she's a prize winning graduate of Trinity College Dublin and also an external examiner on the newly launched National Auctioneering and Property Services apprenticeship program so thank you so much for joining us Brefney and um, you know reading out your qualifications there you're very well placed to give us some insight into Ireland's <laughs> property market at the moment. Well thanks a million for having me Stephanie and congratulations on getting a podcast up and running I think it's wonderful when people do really specific niches like this tax reps, oh, expats. Oh thank you so great much idea. yeah it's great I and mean, we have some regular listeners as well and I think they're going to be really keen to hear a little bit about today's topic um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get right into it but before we do I just wanted to kind of ask you a question you know buyers agents in Ireland it's not necessarily a massive area what got you into it what led you into this role that you're in now a really interesting question and you're right there aren't that many but actually an increasing number um so actually i got into it by accident i had stopped working for dng where i had been working as a full-time selling agent and i had just taken some time off to be a mum and about six months into this time off to be a mum i got a call from a barrister actually a busy senior counsel who said um i need some help buying a house i'm separating and i don't have the time to give this attention and i said great i'll help you figured out what to charge him and that was six years ago and then it's just been one client has led to another to another to another and that's how it's been and it's i have to say i love it and one of the things i love about it is that when you act as a selling agent, you have to sell whatever property it is that the person mm. has to give you. It, it might be a terrible property, you know, what we might know as a terrible property in the trade. But when you're buying a property, you can actually only buy good ones. And that's quite um, yeah, I can satisfying. Imagine. And that, who would the majority of your clients be then? People moving to Ireland or does it generally tend to be a mix? It's a mix. It's probably at the moment, uh, it's about 50-50, I'd say. Um, So, for example, at the moment, I have uh, couples, American couples who are moving to Ireland to buy, um, who actually have no connection with Ireland at all. They're just moving on various stamps. One is a wealthy kind of a stamp and the other is a special employment kind of a stamp. Um, And then I have busy Irish professionals who like Mm -hmm. consultants and barristers who just don't Mm -hmm. have the time 
to give it the attention it needs to get the thing done. You know, lots of people don't need buyer's agents. It's perfectly possible to do it yourself. But if you don't know the system, if you don't know the terrain, if you don't have the time, and if you just want someone to say, come this way, don't mm. go there, come here, and get it done in a finite time, then they do have their uses. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, a great service. And, you know, a lot of the people that we speak to, so, you know, our clients would tend to be in the first category that you mentioned there. So individuals moving from locations outside of Ireland to Ireland, whether they be Irish returning or, you know, uh, foreign nationals who are coming to live here for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the things that we hear them say is, I suppose, the nervousness around, well, you know, a lot of talk about a housing crisis, difficulty getting on the property ladder. When you are talking to people, specifically those who are relocating to Ireland from overseas, what are the type of tips or guides that you give them as you kind of start into the process of looking for a house? It depends on why they have contacted me. So, for example, sometimes I have people who have a job here or they know they're moving to Ireland. So it's absolutely clear they're coming here. They're, they have no doubt but that it's happening. And that's a different energy to people who contact me who are Irish living abroad, who want to get something at home, maybe to rent it out with a view to living in it mm. in due course, maybe in quite a few years. So they're two quite different things. Otherwise, some other people might contact me to buy a holiday home. So the best scenario, really, or the most energized scenario is people who have made up their mind. They are coming here and they yeah. usually got a bit of a time frame, like they need to have their head on a bed in Ireland in six months time or mm -hmm. next year or they are moving here before their children start school in September 24. You know, that kind of clear time frame is a very good place to start because mm -hmm. there is already clarity and usually there is already some kind of location involved. They've one, they've made the decision they're coming Two, they roughly know why they're coming, which usually means they've got a location in mind. They're either coming for work or they're coming for school or they're coming maybe because of family reasons. But usually if they're definite that they're coming, there's usually definitely some kind of a location preference. Yeah, I'm sure as well, you probably get questions like, where should we move to? We have a young family and we want to be close to good schools. Do, do you find the market is so hot? Or I mean, I know it has been, but is it still so competitive that people tend to have to not take what they can find? But is it difficult for people to kind of, if they have a matrix of conditions to meet them all? What, what are you finding the compromises are that people have to make when they're making the decision to come? And, you know, they know when, but, you know, they, they don't know exactly where. I think what people have to do is formulate their basic property sentence. And by that, I mean, you have to say, how many bedrooms do I need at a minimum? Not what would mm -hmm. I like, but how many do I actually need? Right. What is my maximum budget uh, that I'm comfortable spending? Sometimes people have an amount that they can spend, but a separate amount that they're comfortable spending. Figure out what you're actually comfortable to spend and then 
is there any kind of location restriction at all? So mm. what the kind of compromises they need to make, usually, Stephanie, are they need to throw out the whole idea of I'd like it to be south facing. I'd like this, that or the other. I like to get a minimum property sentence going first. It needs to have X number of bedrooms. It needs to cost no more than Y. And it needs to be within X kilometers of somewhere either a school or my parents or the workplace or something. Once we've put that basic, basic property sentence in place, the whole thing starts to become a bit clearer. And if you just put that search into Google, sorry, into Daft and then view the results by map, because Daft have a way of viewing results by map as well as by properties, you can look on the map, you will start to see, Okay, well, if my budget is only 200,000 and I want a minimum of three bedrooms, you're going to, and I want a house, you're going to rule out an awful lot of areas straight away. And you're going to be able to see when you search your results via Daft, where you're likely to be able to buy. And then within that range, you can prioritize where you'd like to buy. So yeah. sometimes people come with a whole big list of requirements or preferences, and you we usually have to dump them first and just get the basics going and then yeah. see what our options are. Because, you know, that comment, you know, you kind of you buy your property as you walk up the path. It, it's it's often I, I know we've we've purchased properties you know, in Ireland and Australia, and you, you can end up buying something you never thought you were going to and falling in love with it as you step over the threshold or see the pictures for the first time. So I think that's really smart because what we see is, you know, when people are coming back from overseas or moving to Ireland for the first time, there's a long list of things that they need to do, you know, in addition to purchasing a property in Ireland, getting kids into school, finding a job, getting themselves back into the Irish system. They're also trying to wrap up a life overseas, mm-hmm. which probably involves selling a home there you know leaving a job there all the things that we do day to day and take for granted so I think it's really good advice is you know don't be too specific you know have your non-negotiables and then basically come to the party with an open mind because then you leave yourself best place to not be disappointed if there isn't a huge selection of options ticking 25 requirements yeah and sometimes a question I like to ask get people to consider is assume you've bought this property Assume it's done. What is it about this thing that you really like? For example, um, I have a client at the moment who will be getting the keys of her home on Friday. When when we looked at what will make her happy, she knew that she was going to be happy if she had good walks close by, if she could walk to a village, if um, she had a bit of a garden. That's how she knew she was going to have a nice life in there. So sometimes when we stand in front of the search, we can get overwhelmed by it. But if we put ourselves at the end of the search and assume you're living in your house, it's kind of a different way of considering it. And sometimes it gives you a question that you didn't know. It it gives you um, an answer that you didn't know you had. For example, I had another client who was moving to Ireland from the States. She had given me her list of preferences and her budget. But when we actually went to buy, uh, when we saw an apartment that really ticked her all her boxes, we looked on the apartment notice board and it said no dogs. And it was only then she realized she wanted a dog. So, um, so I, if she had really imagined herself into her life, 
Mm. before she started her search she would have realized one of her happy things that she was going to be doing was walking her dog so Mm. if we had kind of had that conversation first we could have narrowed the search down that way to an apartment block that allowed dogs so that's just an example of how thinking yourself to the end of the search can sometimes work for you like if you're coming with children do you want to be getting into the car every morning and driving for 45 minutes to bring them to school or do you want to be holding their hands and walking down to school with them how do you want to be living? I think that, you know, as well, I mean, a small cohort of people, but a cohort nonetheless. Um, when we came back from Australia, just personally speaking, we were coming from a location where outdoor living was so important. And I personally had a concern, you know, we're coming back to rainy Ireland and the kids are going to be stuck indoors all the time. And exactly what you're saying really helped us was we just said, well, let's try and rent initially near some of the things that we know we're going to miss from Australia, such mm-hmm. as, you know, a playground that was on every corner in Australia and also you know access to coffee shops was just two things to kind of help us settle in and those two things they didn't become really important in the long term but I think when you're going through that transition stage of trying to get back into life here or start a life here it doesn't do any harm to do exactly what you're saying which is what bits of my life do I are really important and what property is going to help me you know, achieve that in the short to medium term. I think it's a really smart way. And often we don't think like that, do we? We we often think about it in terms of, do I like the kitchen or, you know, that carpet isn't the colour I like. <laughs> Things that really are easily changed, but ultimately the location of a property does matter um, when you're kind of think of it in the terms that you said there. I agree. And I, I as you say, you can get distracted by the finish of a property. But then I think people can also get overwhelmed by the shoulds. People put a lot of shoulds on themselves when coming to buy property. Like, is this a good property? Should I buy here? Is this a good time to buy? They ask themselves all these questions that don't actually have any objective answer, particularly. Um, rather than concentrating on how well they know themselves and how well this property is going to suit them. They are buying their Mm. own home. They're not investing in the market as such. They're buying for themselves to live in. And ideally, you don't want to buy a bad property. I mean, a property that has infrastructural um, impediments on it. And by those, I mean, is it perhaps subject to flooding? Does it have a dual carriageway right outside the door? Um, Does it have double yellow lines, which means no one can park outside, including yourself? These kind of, there are just some key infrastructural kind of anchors that you don't want tied around a property's neck, ideally. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I mean by a bad property. But apart from that, apart from avoiding something that might impede you being able to sell the property on again, the best advice to take is your own gut instinct and how you like to live and try and match that by being really honest with yourself. Here's a question then. Obviously, you deal with people who maybe aren't in Ireland yet. Do you see people buying houses they've never actually physically been in or, you know, viewed in person? Yes, I do. And and it's a reasonable question to ask, especially during COVID, where people were buying properties that they couldn't physically go into. And um, the question is, is it bonkers to go and buy a property that you've never physically set foot in? And I don't think so, because I feel you can do a lot of research online. And the kinds of ways I suggest people look at a property are firstly on Google Earth, just to look at it from 
the sky and that will sometimes show you like if whether there's an infrastructural burden beside it eg i'm looking for clients at a moment in kilkenny and i was looking at a property and i just looked at it from the desktop via google earth and i saw a big quarry beside it now that yeah. didn't come up in the photographs on the listing on daft but it did come up when i searched it on the earth now again you may not mind living beside a quarry but it is useful to know that there is a quarry there and it's likely to be trucks going in and out yeah. um, so that's one piece of research you can do you can also look at it at the property on air code E-I-R-C-O-D-E dot I-E. And I like to look at properties on that because it shows you a clear outline of how the property sits on its site. Um, sometimes you can have a property on a nice big acre site, but the property might be right to the front of the site, very close to the road, which is quite a restless sort of a feeling in a property. Ideally, you want a property that's kind of situated in the middle of its site. So it's not too close to your boundary neighbours and you don't have all your garden at the front where most people don't like to use the garden. They like to have the garden at the back. So you can check how the house actually sits on its site using air code. You can check whether it's got broadband, decent fibre broadband by checking the national broadband, nbi.ie to see what's the status of the wi-fi signal there you can check it out on floods um floodinfo.ie to see does it flood so you and then so when you've kind of satisfied to yourself as to the orientation of the property has it got any wonky neighbors that you don't want um has it got the broadband you need has it got any climatic uh, issues um like flooding or radon or environmental kind of issues um then you can look at the floor plan of the house itself and a floor plan is really a good way to get a sense of how the house flows for example ideally you want rooms to be square shaped and not have too many doors off them you don't mm -hmm. want to have long narrow rooms all leading into each other a, a peaceful room is usually a square shaped room not a long passage room and um it will show you whether you've got a kitchen that you can have a dining table in. A lot of people now want a good kitchen stroke living room. The floor pan will tell you all of that. It'll show you where your bathrooms are. It'll show you a lot. So I think it's you can tell such a lot about a property from researching it online and especially the neighborhood that I don't think it's crazy. However, there are things you can only tell by physically viewing a property that also have value, such as the views at the windows, the levels in a house, you know, sometimes you can go into a house and it's on a lot of different levels, which you hadn't really quite noticed on the photographs. It's not possible mm. to tell. And sometimes it can have a musty smell. The ceilings can be lower than you'd expect. It can feel a bit claustrophobic. You can look out the window and realize, oh, my God, the next door neighbors have loads of pigeon lofts out there that I didn't really notice on Google Earth. Or So <laughs> going into a house has its merits as well. But I do think it's possible given that in my view 70 percent of a house's value comes from where it is and by where it is i mean the neighborhood the particular road the particular side of the road the way it sits on its land all of that is what i would say gives a property 65 to 70 percent of its value and you can check all that out online wow yeah that's a really interesting statistic and i mean personally speaking i'm i'm curious to hear your views on 
what way you think the market is. I mean, obviously, we're recording this in February of 2023. So if somebody's listening to this in six months time, it may not be valid. But what have your observations been, you know, in the post COVID era um, with the, the property market for, for buyers? We'll talk about renters in a few minutes, potentially. Um. Well, I know that people do want to know what the market is doing, and it's a totally reasonable question. But I honestly am not sure that it gives us very valuable, a, a, a valuable base on which to take action. For example, if you know you want to buy in Ireland, then this is the market you're buying in. There's not much point, and you want to buy now. There's not much point to be to be worrying about what the market is doing in the sense that if you are buying it for your own personal use and you plan to live in it for five to ten years, then it doesn't really matter what the market is doing because you're not going to be selling into this market. And in general, we've a cycle of our property market going up and down in eight to 12 year cycles, e.g. we hit a peak of the boom at 2006, then we fell down to a trough in 2013, then we rose up again to 2019, at which point it started to level off with COVID. Then COVID happened and it gave it a boost. So right now we're kind of coming at the tail end of a COVID boost. Property Mm. prices, asking prices rose by 6% in 2022. That's versus by uh, 8% in 2021. That's versus by about uh, maybe about the same in 2020. So they kind of rose in COVID. And now, although the asking prices are still a little bit higher than they were in 2019, they're slowing down. And in general, the rate of slowing down is fastest in Dublin, as in Dublin is not rising at the same rate that outside of Dublin is rising. But I do think people can get head up on what the market is doing. I feel like unless you're investing, buying with a view to selling it or it appreciating in value, you're really buying your own home for your own use and buying it now has its own value. It means you don't have to keep thinking about this darn decision and mm. you know keep trying to guess when is a good time to buy. We never know when is the best time to buy, except in the rear view mirror. And that's yeah. too long to wait to see. Yeah. And I think as well, a lot of the people who are coming to Ireland, save for the ones who've been asked to come by their employers, you know, they're coming to Ireland because they want to live here. And it is easier sometimes to settle when you, you know, have your own property and you can make it your home. So I think what you're saying is really is really good point. Um, you know, don't get too head up about it. But something I see our clients getting head up about and, and understandably so is if they're not buying, but they're looking to rent. Mm. You know, I mean, we hear a lot in the media about the fact that there is a shortage of rental uh, properties. What, what what's your role for your clients in that regard? Or what are your comments on the situation at the moment? Uh, my comments are I completely completely sympathize with anyone trying to find a rental property in Ireland. It's absolutely shocking, the supply. Like For example, right now, today, there's only 500 houses to rent in Dublin. That's really no supply at all. That's about 20% of what there used to be for sale. There's a ridiculous shortage. It's a crazily dysfunctional market. However, that all being said, um, if I were trying to rent a property in Dublin or anywhere, and I was replying to an ad on Daft, I would make sure to say the following things. I would tell them what you do, because you can imagine an estate agent gets literally sometimes 
hundreds and maybe sometimes even a thousand responses to an ad for a property on Daft. And if they're all just standard responses, if there's all standard inquiries like, hello, I'm interested in this property, they're not going to reply to you. But if you say, hello, I'm moving to Dublin to work for Google. My contract starts in September. I earn X amount. I have an excellent landlord's reference ready to show. I am prepared to sign a lease straight away. That's going to get a response. That's much more likely to get a response from a, a, a letting agent than, hello, is this property still available? Yeah. So essentially distinguish yourself from the competition because the competition, I mean, people are probably fatigued. They are potentially applying to 20 or 30 properties, copy and paste, but ultimately try and stand out and and, and be specific in terms of why you should get this. What's your experience? Do you work with people who are looking to rent and you're helping them secure? Yes, I do. I I look for people both who who are looking to rent and to buy. And I have to say, I've had a 100% success rate in getting properties for people to rent. And that is because I follow, I don't take them on until I have all their paperwork in order. So agents who are dealing with me know that my clients have been vetted, you know, as in Mm -hmm. I know where they're working. I've got a copy of their contract. I've got a copy of their passport. I've got a copy of the landlord's reference. If they aren't renting, very often my clients are people who own their own home abroad but need to rent here. I have Mm -hmm. photographs of their house to show that they're if, if they have a pet, I've got photographs of the pet. I've got a letter from the vet to say the pet's a reasonable dog, cat or whatever. I, I have everything. And I suggest that anyone who is coming with a pet um, that they mention all of these things, that they, they the pet is house trained, they've got good references, etc. Mm, yeah, oh, brilliant. I mean, what an amazing list. And to some extent, those things are obvious. But I know myself, when you were moving to a new place, it's another it's another issue to think about. And, you know, you've got another list of things, whether it be packing in the location you're coming from, get, you know, get your taxes in the new location, resigning a job. There's so much going on when you move to a new country. These are such nuggets of information for people to kind of come armed and equipped to hit the ground running. And the good thing about Daft as well, Stephanie, is that if you reply to one ad on Daft and you put in everything, um, you know, your salary, who you are, your wife, your children, the ages of your children, whatever it is, or your husband, etc. Daft usually, there's a box you can tick to say, save this. And it means you don't have to put in the whole shenanigans every time you reply to a Daft ad. Daft will save that for you. Mm, brilliant. Yeah. So each day when you log on, you're using the previous search as opposed to having to enter it all again. So people are probably going to be interested, uh, Brefni, in learning more about your services after hearing, you know, that you are obviously very skilled in this area. What's the best way for them to reach out and contact you if they want to have a chat with you? Um, or what's your modus operandi? Are you taking new clients? <laughs> yeah, I, I work with a maximum of four clients at any time um, because I like to have loads of time to work with each client. Um, and I'm usually running a small waiting list, but that can move very quickly, depending. You know, sometimes you can take on a client today and have them sorted out by tomorrow if it's a rental. Now, it's mm. never as quick as that when you're buying something, but it, rentals can move very quickly. Um, so they can go onto my website, brefneyokelly.ie, and if you go into the services section, you can book a call with me. It, just book it directly um, 
into the cal into my calendar. So it's a 15 minute slot and you can whatever's on your mind, you can book in a chat and we I usually do that via Zoom. Okay, awesome, brilliant. Um, well, one final question before we wrap up, because I, I had meant to ask this earlier, and I think it's something that is potentially good to leave people with, particularly if they're moving to Ireland and planning to buy. One of the other things we sometimes hear clients say when they're coming from a location like the US or, for example, Australia, um, is that you know the process of buying and selling houses is relatively rigid. So, you know, for example, in Australia, there was quite clear rules around the timeline between securing finance and closing the, the contract what do you see happening in the market when somebody's coming to Ireland what would you say to somebody coming to buy a house in Ireland what, oh what's the most <laughs> oh, I, I so I so what a good what a I totally get the question because I you know my especially my American clients um who I'm particularly thinking of at the moment they just they find it unbelievable the system so i suppose everyone needs to understand that it is a slow motion auction and that the asking price is an indication of what the price might be that they probably need to expect to spend anything from five to twenty percent above or below the asking price that is possible usually the bigger agents such as sherry fitzgerald or dng or I'll put in Owen O'Reilly as well. I'm sure I'm missing out a few, but they usually have their pricing pretty spot on in that if they're asking, let's say, 585,000 for a property, the chances are they expect to get something like 600 for it. They usually pitch it maybe 20 20,000 or 25,000 below the asking price. Uh, below the price they expect to get. So if, if you see a property advertised for 595, you can be sure the vendor's expectation is something like 620 or 6 yeah, roughly 620 or 625. So the agent usually pitches it a little bit below what they expect to get. However, some of the smaller agents overprice it because they just overpriced it to get the sale, you know, just to win the mm. instruction. But so one thing you need to know is it's a slow motion auction. The asking price doesn't always or usually buy the property. It's usually more than the asking price. And it's usually more by 10 to 20 percent sometimes or 5 to 20 percent. Um, it is a slow motion auction. Um, you need to have your proof of funds in place. People, a lot of American clients come to me and say we've got a good deposit. That's not enough. In order to be a buyer in Ireland, you actually need to be able to buy the property today. You need to be funded today. And by mm. funded, I mean you need to have cash in the bank to the amount of the property you want to buy, or you need to have mortgage approval to the amount of the property you want to buy. Whereas in America, I think it's um, you can have a certain percentage of the property uh, as a deposit and then figure out your finances when you get the property. That's not how it works here. You have mm. to be able to buy it today in order for your bid to be even entertained. And I actually did a podcast with an American estate agent just comparing the different processes. That's on my, my own podcast. Uh, and I think it's on my website on a YouTube channel of mine there. So um, you need to have all the money now in order to be considered a bidder. You need to expect that it's going to be a slow motion auction. Once your sale agreed, it can be a very long process too. And it'll totally depend on how organized the selling solicitor is and how organized the seller is. Um, so it could be that the seller has all their paperwork ready. And by paperwork, I mean the title deeds to their house in their hand. They have it ready to send out. They have all their 
certs for all the planning applications and all the work they've done to their house. They have all of that ready to go, but most people don't. So when you go say agreed as a buyer on a property, that's usually the point at which the seller's solicitor starts to get the paperwork together. So it can be maybe four to eight weeks before you as a buyer get before your solicitor gets anything from the seller's solicitor in terms wow. of paperwork. Mm, it's just so, a an older process than maybe some of the more I mean, look, a country like Australia where you've got, you know, it's the country's a couple of hundred years old versus Irish I'm not a legal expert, but, you know, our, our land laws are archaic and old. And as a result, you can potentially be buying property that has, you know, a 999 year lease on it or something. Yeah. Conceptually, it happens. Yeah. And as a result, you know, it, it, it's just not as cut and dry per se. But um, so I just wanted to say, excuse me for interrupting you, that it's buyer beware in Ireland. And that's one thing other people don't understand. You know, in England and America and maybe in Australia, um, there's a duty to disclose what's wrong with the property. You don't have to do that in Ireland. It is up to the buyer to satisfy themselves at the mm. property stand. So mm. apologies for interrupting you there. No, it's a, it's a brilliant point because, you know, this is this is the shift, I think, culturally that it's much better to be told that at the start than learn that the hard way. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that that's a very useful piece of information. Mm-hmm. Um, I've so enjoyed chatting to you, Brefney. Thank you so much. It's so insightful. And I think it's really good to hear that there's people in the market who can help people who want the help kind of navigate this, broker it, find their dream home and essentially start their life in Ireland um, on a good foot. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really good. And I really appreciate you talking to us. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, my total pleasure. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for listening to Tax Bites for Expats. Please do leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, remember to take professional tax advice specific to your personal circumstances before acting or refraining from action in connection with the matters dealt with in this series. The material in this podcast is intended to give general guidance only.